chapter 19, Luke 19 says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was. But he could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he came down, sorry, sorry, made haste, came down and received Jesus joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has not come to seek and save that. So, sorry, for the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, in the few moments that I've got, this evening, Lord God, let me just uh, have not just eloquence, Father God, but let me have supernatural guidance that I might deliver what you've put on my heart to speak to these magnificent people of yours, Father God, your words and your truths. Father, I pray tonight that this word would be food for our souls. It would be nourishment. Lord God, it would be not just invigorating and informational, but Father, it would be revelation. It would be transformation. It would be empowering to each and every person tonight. I ask these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Tonight, I want to preach to you from the topic of a, a silent sermon. A silent sermon. What I love about this story is Zacchaeus gets saved. Zacchaeus repents, but there's actually no no uh, text here. There's no there's, there's no record of Jesus actually preaching to to Zacchaeus. He just says, "Zacchaeus, come down. I got to stay at your house today." And as he's going into Zacchaeus' house, everybody outside is complaining. Oh, he's gone in to be the guest of a sinner. And uh, there's, Zacchaeus, there's Jesus behind closed doors and, you know, they're probably just having lunch and, you know, some lamb roast or something like that. And, and, uh, but there's something, there was just something about Jesus's presence sitting in Zacchaeus's home that caused Zacchaeus to, to all of a sudden, you know, I got to tell you, there is nothing more potent. There is nothing more powerful, there is nothing more beautiful, and there is nothing more sobering than the presence of Jesus. I can't tell you how many times I thought I was dead right. I can't tell you how many times I thought I was absolutely got it all together. I can't tell you how many times I thought I was okay. And then as soon as I'm in the presence of God, I realize, man, I've got to repent of this. I've got to fix that up. I, gotta, I can't tell you how many times I've argued with Pastor Leanne, and I was convinced I was right. And then the next time I'm praying, God says, Jurgs, you are a doofus. And and uh, she was right, and you just got to humble yourself, and you got pride, and you know. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. But if I go and you know, if I go and apologize, that'll just you know. And uh, and God's like, just do it anyway. And so, but I've just found there's something about Jesus's presence. There's just something about the presence of God. So I want to encourage you. First and foremost, it's not in my notes, but first and foremost, I believe that one of the wisest things we can do in our homes is build the presence of Jesus in our home. Don't let the television, don't let Hollywood be the loudest voice in your home. Don't let MTV or, you know, the, the you know, iPod or, you know, gangster rap or whatever. Don't let that be the loudest, 
music in your home. Let your house be filled with praise and worship that honors and glorifies Jesus Christ. Let Jesus, let, let, honor Jesus' presence, invite His presence. You know, well, we're not religious uh, in this church about, you know, all kinds of traditions and things like that. But I religiously say grace. I say grace at home and I say grace in restaurants. I can't tell you how many times I've had people come up to me and say, oh, you know, uh, we, young man, we, we're sitting over there and we saw you say grace. And we just want to say it's a beautiful thing to see you young. And I don't do it because I want, you know, people to say I do it because I want my children to grow up with thankfulness. Why do I want them to grow up with thankfulness? Because I know they ain't going to get anywhere in God unless they have a thankful heart. If they have an entitled heart, you ain't going to get squat diddly from God. The Bible says we enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. So you're not even making it through the gates unless you've got some thankfulness happening on the inside of you. So, so cultivate the presence of God. You know, I don't, have, I don't like silence too much. So, you know, I'm, I've always got, you know, uh, worship or something playing in the background because I want this, you know, I want my, my home to be filled with the presence of God. Likewise, when I, you know, get invited to speak, the first thing I do, I don't know who was in the hotel before me. They could have been, you know, hell's angels or, you know, Satanists or whatever, you know, in the hotel before me. I don't know. But when I walk in, the first thing I do is I set up either my computer or my iPad and I put praise and worship on because this is now holy ground. This is now my sanctuary. This is the place where I'm going to prepare so I can receive the word of the Lord, so I can minister to it so that lives can be saved. The devil would love to have, you know, the residue of the after effects of whatever happened in the hotel before I got there. I try not to think too much about it. All I know is, you know, where I'm walking in, it becomes holy ground. Take the sandals off your feet. The place where you stand is holy ground. Every place the sole of your foot shall tread, I have given you. So when I walk in there, this, this hotel room is now a sanctuary to the presence of God. And you put praise and worship on. Well, Jesus goes into Zacchaeus' house. And he's in Zacchaeus' house. He doesn't preach a sermon. But Zacchaeus repents and he says, Lord. He says, listen, if, if, if I've defrauded anybody, if, if I've done anything, anything that, that, is, that is incorrect financially. Lord, look, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore, restore fourfold. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. It's the silent sermon. I don't want you to underestimate the power of just you being involved in people's lives. Just the power of you being involved in people's lives. You, you, you're, you and I, we're Christians. We've got God living on the inside of us. we got Jesus living on the inside of us. People will know that there's something different. People will notice there's something different. I can't tell you how many times over the years, you know, I haven't told somebody I was a Christian, but people began to notice something was different. I even remember when I was at Bible college, we got a job at Pizza Hut. Uh, four eight one double one double one four eight one double one double one four eight one double one double one pizza hut delivery and I was a pizza hut delivery boy and uh, we were delivering pizzas and and uh, and I remember this this one night I uh, sued my boss said you know I want to come out with you on one of the runs so we went out on one of the runs and she goes there's something different about you and I said oh what is it she goes, well you, number one you don't cast and I said well okay and uh, and uh, anyway and so I, I had some music in my car I said oh do you like this music she goes ah oh. she goes that's pure music isn't it like oh man because it was it was a really really good band and but they sound I said oh man can is, is the quality inferior have I been a Christian that long that I can't you know in the secular world great quality than Christian you know kind of lower quality I said she goes oh no 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 it's got nothing to do with the quality of the music she goes I just know something about you that you wouldn't listen to anything that's not pure and I'm like, well you know and uh you know wow I was doing better than what I thought but you know 
And, uh, and it was just, just I hadn't told her. that. And then, so then I got to talk to her about Christ, got to talk to her about why Jesus died on the cross. But it was amazing just you being in a place, just being in an environment, just not being like everybody else. Everybody else is casting. Everybody else is stressing. Everybody else is just grabbing and pouring at what they can get for here and now. But there's something different about you. It's called the silent sermon. You know, one of my heroes from history is St. Francis of Assisi. And this is what he said. He said, every day, preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. Every day, preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. And, and I kind of really like that. So this is a, a story about the silent sermon. In, in, in the chapter before is, is, is chapter 18. This is chapter 19 of Luke. Chapter 18 tells the story of the rich young ruler. Where Jesus kind of gets to preach a little bit to him. A rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says to, to Jesus, he says, uh, hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus preaches and says, you know the commandments. You know, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not, you know, murder, thou shalt not commit adultery. You know, don't defraud your brother, you know, honor your mother and father. And he says, all these I've kept since I was a youth. And Jesus says, okay, one thing you lack, sell everything you have, give to the poor, follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. The Bible says he went away sad. So Jesus preaches a word to him, but it needs you to understand that Jesus preaches more than a word. Jesus preaches law to him. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Which is a really interesting question because you can't do anything to inherit eternal life. Jesus did it all on the cross. If, if you could do it, Jesus wouldn't need to come down. He just needs to just be a better instructor and instruct us how we can do it to inherit eternal life. But he says, you know, you know the commandments. And the guy's quite arrogant. All oh, these I've kept since I was a youth. Well, actually, really? And I don't think so. And so, you know, but he went away sad because when, when, when we preach the law, people go away sad. When we, because, you know, from, from God emanates the law, but the law doesn't come to justify us. The law comes to show us that you and I can't make it into heaven through the law. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are none righteous, no, not one. None of us can keep the Ten Commandments. None of us can, can keep God's law. And so, so you need to understand that Jesus didn't come to make us lawyers. Jesus didn't come to make us lawyers. Jesus didn't come to get us to, to condemn the world, to preach law to the world and, and tell the world, you know, because they can't keep the law. None of us can keep the law. Now, it's still the law is important because what it is, it's a tutor, the Bible says, to bring us to Christ, but, but there's no salvation. But one chapter later, we see Jesus in the home and he doesn't preach at all. There is no preaching and a guy gets saved. So he preaches the Lord, the guy goes away sad, doesn't get saved. The next one, he's in the home, he doesn't preach at all, and, and, and the guy gets saved. Because I believe that Jesus doesn't come to, to make us religious, he comes to restore a relationship. Can I just tell you, Christianity is not about rules and laws and traditions. It's about a relationship that was severed. It's about a relationship that was shattered. It's about a relationship that was broken way back there in the Garden of Eden that Jesus came to restore in the Garden of Gethsemane. The gospel is about God mending a relationship. The reason that Jesus was suspended between heaven and earth is because he was reconnecting heaven to earth and earth to heaven. He was reconnecting. Christianity is, is unlike every other religion. Every other religion, you get a whole lot of stipulations and a whole lot of laws and a whole lot of things that you've got to keep, commands, statutes, whatever you want to call them, in order to appease the gods and earn your way forward, earn your way into heaven or earn your way into the next, you know, religious phase, the next, the next level of karma, the next level, whatever it is, the next level of consciousness. But Christianity is completely different. Christianity is a relationship. 
I remember many years ago, Billy Graham was on national TV in Australia and uh, the reporter said to him, you know, are you going to heaven, Billy Graham? He said, oh, yes, absolutely I am. And the guy says, how arrogant. How could you be so arrogant? Like you're, you're, you're so much better than everybody else that you, you know you're going to heaven. I believe that that's just arrogance right there. And Billy Graham says, oh, sir, it's, the only reason you're saying that is because you don't understand the gospel. I'm not going to heaven because of my merit. I'm not going to heaven because of my efforts. I'm not going to heaven even because of my righteousness. I'm going to heaven because of what Jesus did on the cross he said sir jesus took all of my sin all of my shortcomings all of my faults all of my failures on the cross but on the cross he lived a perfect life and then he gave me his perfect life i'm going to heaven not because of me but because of him and you know the the, the uh you know the, the the journalist that just sat completely gobsmacked he'd never heard the gospel before he didn't understand it before but it was a powerful moment so i need you to understand that the gospel is the answer and the cross is vertical but it's also horizontal horizontal and that Jesus came not just to repair the relationship between God and men he didn't just come to repair the relationship between heaven and earth he didn't just come to repair the relationship between you and God he also came to to repair the relationship sideways so that you can have relationship you can have fellowship you can have connection this way as well that God can sanctify your relationships and Jesus sends us into all the world this is the horizontal we've got to go into all the world and preach the gospel well, I believe it's, you know, before we talk to people about God, we really ought to talk to God about people. I said, before we talk to people about God, we have a, I believe we ought to talk to God about people. That's pray. I, I don't, I, you know, I think that we ought to be a church that is praying for our community, praying for our city. That's why you'll see, we, you know, we pray for our city. Now, Lord, we lift up San Diego, the county, but we lift up all the surrounding cities. And you'll even hear, you know, some of our prayer warriors will be praying, Lord, we lift up, you know, San Marcos and Oceanside and, and uh, you know, Carlsbad and La Costa and Ensenada. And we're praying for the cities because we want to bring blessing over the cities. We, you know, if that's where we're going to reach, well, we want to pray for that city. We want to pray for those people in the city we want to meet needs in the city the gospel is the answer and can i tell you the reason that that's so important is because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care john maxwell says that he says people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care i honestly believe that we ought to be a church that people know that we're not just a church that wants to go out there on the street corner and yell at passers-by that they're going to burn in hell we need to be the people who are not just seen on the street corners we need to be the people who feed the homeless we ought to be the people that love our neighbors we ought to be the people that invite them over for super bowl parties and open up our homes and when someone's going through something in the neighborhood we're the first to send flowers we're the first to go and offer help we're the first to, to you know help carry shopping bags in when it's raining we're the first to be a blessing to our, our neighbors in our community because i believe that god is looking for a lot more preachers of silent sermons i believe that god does more with a silent sermon than he does with a vocal sermon can somebody say amen second thing i want to bring to your uh, your uh, attention is i believe that fellowship is the expression fellowship helps us to see jesus more clearly we don't have time to go through it tonight, but in Luke chapter 24, there's the most magnificent story about Jesus is risen from the dead, and, uh, and there are two of the disciples who are walking on the road to Emmaus, and Emmaus is about seven miles from Jerusalem, so, you know, if, if, if say, they're walking at a brisk pace, it's at least... It's at least 15 minutes walking, if you're walking really fast, if you're power walking, to walk a mile. It's probably more like 20 minutes. So they got, you know, 140 minutes, you know, a little over two hours, 
two and a bit hours of walking along the road seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And the Bible says that Jesus comes alongside them and is walking with them and says, why, why, why are you guys so sad? What's with this sad conversation you guys are having? Your countenance is falling. And they said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Haven't you known the things that have happened recently? He says, what things? The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. A mighty prophet, mighty in word and deed, and how, how he was handed over to the Gentiles and how they crucified him. And, and, you know, they said that he was going to rise again. And this, this morning, some of the disciples, some of the women went to the tomb and he wasn't there. And the disciples said he wasn't there either. They ran there and they confirmed he wasn't there. But, you know, there's been three days since he crucified him. And, and we were hoping, but, but, but we were hoping that it was he that was going to restore, you know, Israel to, you know, kind of restore everything and overthrow the Roman army. We, we, we were hoping that this was going to happen, but, but, you know, anyway, it hasn't happened. It's been three days. And, and so, you know, so, so they're kind of walking along and then they, they, they get to where they're going in Emmaus. And the Bible says that Jesus spoke to them, you know, opened the scriptures from Moses all the way through to the prophets. So Jesus for two hours is preaching to them. I mean, can you imagine you've got Jesus Christ teaching you the scriptures? I mean, can you imagine? It's the best Bible study in the world. Oh, my Lord, these two guys... With Jesus, not with, I mean, Moses would have done a brilliant job, but this is Jesus. It's not even Elijah. Elijah would have done a great job, probably called down fire and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But this is Jesus opening up. He was there before it was even written. And, and he's opening up the scriptures. And, and, and then they get to the place where they're going. And the Bible says that, you know, Jesus made out like he was going to keep walking. And they begged him. They said, no, 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 come. Hey, it's, it's late. Why don't you come and stay with us? Come and stay in our house. So he went in with them and then they sat down. Now watch what it says here in verse 28. Then they drew near to the village, Matthew, uh, Luke 24, 28. Then they drew near to the village where, he, where they were going. And he indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him saying, Abide with us for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened up the Scriptures to us? So they rose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven, thank you, David, and those who were with them gathered together. Isn't it amazing that they didn't see Jesus clearly while he was preaching? Jesus is preaching from the scriptures, and all the scriptures describe him. From Moses, from Genesis, all the way through to the prophets, the prophets were foretelling the Messiah coming. And it's the Messiah himself teaching them the scriptures about himself, but they don't see it. But when they get inside the home, and they're sitting down having fellowship, and he breaks the bread, then their eyes are open, then they see that it is Jesus. I believe that fellowship is the expression of the kingdom. I honestly believe that, that, that God is looking and God is, God is wanting us to be a church that is a church that opens our lives, that opens our homes. I don't want to be a liturgy, a liturgy church. I don't want to be just a great sermon church. I, I don't want to even be you know, a great you know, ministry center church. I want to be a church that sure we come here on a weekend and we get empowered and we get blasted and we get you know, touched by the Spirit and filled with the power of God and, and have breakthroughs and everything 
building here, but I want to be a church where this is kind of like, like our training camp. This is kind of like the gym, and then we go out there, and, and out there, that's the field. And we take the field after we came in here and lifted some spiritual weights off us and got empowered, got enthused, got a game plan on, and then went out onto the field, went into the field, look under the fields, for they are white under harvest. Because I'm telling you, there are people whose eyes are not going to be open through a sermon, but their eyes will be open through the breaking of bread, through fellowship. It was fellowship that opened their eyes. Sometimes, sometimes disappointments and all kinds of things in our hearts. They said, but we were hoping their hearts were hard. Their hearts were heavy with grief. It's amazing how many people can't see God, can't see Jesus in the midst of their grief. But I can't tell you how many times in the midst of somebody walking through pain, maybe it's the death of a spouse, you know, the loss of a loved one, divorce, or, you know, loss of a job. We're a phone call. We're a connection. Hey, can I take you out and just love on you? All of a sudden, it's like, man, thank you. I see God again. We, we, we lose God. People lose sight of God with the pain and with difficult circumstances that they carry. We were hoping that we were hoping they were despondent. They were depressed in their heart. And I believe that that was one of the elements that caused them to not see. But fellowship does. Getting along with people. Being there with people. Getting into people's homes. You know, I, I love our church because we feed the homeless. And I love that. But I really felt God say to me, I don't want you to just feed the homeless. Because I haven't called you to just feed the homeless. He says, I want you to feed with the homeless. He says, I've called you to feed with. See, there's a difference between just feeding the homeless. If I feed the homeless, I see a man who's homeless and I realize he doesn't have any food. So I give him some bread. I give him a meal. But Jesus said these words. He says, hang on. He says, man does not live by bread alone. In other words, you can feed a man's stomach, but have you really met his truest and deepest needs? Because even though he's homeless and he's hungry, hungry only satisfies an immediate need, not a long-term need. The long-term need of that man is there's something deeper. So we can feed a person's stomach, but are we feeding their soul? Are we feeding their spirit? And God says, you know, the church that I see in San Diego, C3 Church, is a church that doesn't just limit its, its outreach to just feeding the homeless, but we feed with the homeless. We feed with the broken. We feed with the solo mom, the solo dad. We feed with the sexually dysfunctional. We feed with the sexually broken. We feed with, you know, the person who's battling. We feed with the person who's going through a divorce. We feed with the person who's struggling. We feed with, we feed with. And feed with means that we've got to invite. We, we, we've got to stretch out. We've got to, when we come into church, well, you know, you know, I wonder what it's 20 past six right now. You know, he's got 10 more. I hope he finishes on time because, you know, I want to get home. And, you know, we get kind of all that. And people come in and we see someone new up there. Oh, I hope someone talks to that new person. Oh, I, I, I don't have time. And uh, I, let's not be that kind of church. Let's be the kind of church that understands that we're kind of mature enough and wise enough to understand that it's actually, number one, not about us. And to be a church that is looking. I can't tell you how many times people have come into church, hearts heavy, brokenness, difficulty, but the power of taking somebody out. Hey, I saw you sitting by yourself. Are you new here? You know, what are you doing after church? You want to come out? We're, we're, we're going to grab a bite to eat. You know, someone was saying to me the other day, I was saying, hey, you know, we should go out and eat sometime. I said, oh, go out and eat with a pastor? I said, sure. I, I eat every Sunday. And they're like, whoa, you eat? Yeah. I'm, not just Sundays. I actually eat the other six days as well, but especially Sundays. And... Uh, you know, I'm thinking if I'm going out to eat, I might as well go out to eat with somebody and hear their story. Can I just tell you, one of the most powerful things we can do is actually to 
not just feed the homeless, but actually sit with, feed with people, hear their story. Let them tell their story. Let them describe their struggle. Let them talk about their pain. Jesus is preaching to them, no revelation. But as soon as he sat down and there was fellowship and breaking of bread, their eyes were opened. The Bible says that they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us when he opened the scriptures to us on the road? You know, one of the great tragedies, one of the great tragedies is that we've created a culture of heartburn Christians. We've created a culture of heartburn Christians. We're addicted to the heartburn. Oh, Pastor, I just came back from this. You ought to go to this conference, Pastor. Oh, my Lord, there, there was, you know, Bishop such and such and an apostle, you know, Holy Feet McGinty was there. And, you know, and I mean, they, you know, they got, I mean, the who's who of the Christian zoo was there. And, uh, you know, Pastor, I can't, my heart burn and my heart burn and my heart burn and my heart burn and my heart burn. You know, and, and we get addicted to heartburn. We go to this conference because we get a heartburn on healing. We get a go to this conference, a heartburn on the, the you know, it's, it's, the, it's the faith confession, brother. You know, it, it, you, know you just got to confess it and possess it, Pastor. You got to blab it and grab it. You know, you got you to believe and receive. And, you know, in, in heart, but man, when they got up and share my, and that's awesome. And I want you to have heartburns. Like, I'm not trying to take away a heartburn experience, but let's not, let's not reduce the maturity and the expression of our church to just being heartburned Christians. I want your heart to burn in you when you hear the scriptures and you hear teaching. And, and we'll, you know, we always try to bring the best, the world's best ministers, men and women of God through you know our men's conference and our Empower conference and our women's conference and even guest speakers on the weekend. And absolutely, I want your heart to burn in you. I want you to feel excited. But let's not reduce it to just heartburn. There are too many Christians that just uh, that become conference junkies. They go from one conference to the next to the next to the next when really what God is looking for is people who are willing to invite people into their home break bread and fellowship let's be a church that opens up our homes opens up our lives I gotta tell you this you know I remember when God first spoke to this to Leanne and I when we were working living and working in New Zealand and uh, and I really felt God just say the only way you're going to build a healthy youth ministry is you've got to invite people into your home he says, the only way you're going to build a healthy uh, team is you've got to invite your team into your life. Jesus' first command to the disciples was not follow me. A lot of people think, well, Jesus' first command to the disciples was follow me. No, it wasn't. If you read the Gospel of John, his first command to the disciples was they said to him, Lord, where do you stay? And Jesus said, come and see. His first command to the disciples was come into my world. Come and see how I live. And I felt God speak to me many, many years ago, 20 years ago. So you've got to invite people. And I, and I remember looking at our budget and Pastor Leanne and I, you know, we were just newly married. You know, the, the church couldn't pay us for the first uh, seven months. And then when they did pay us, it was more like a stipend. We were on $18,000 a year. Woohoo, big biggies, $18,000 a year. And, uh, and so, you know, we were just kind of living hand to mouth. We were just living week to week. But what was amazing was God said, you really think that if you're doing my work, that I won't provide. I've got to tell you, we started taking people out. We started buying people lunch. We started bringing people into our home, buying extra food. And every week, just supernaturally, there just seemed to be enough. There just seemed to be enough. There just seemed to be enough. I can't tell you how many times people in the church came up and said, Pastor, we want to bless you. They'd shake my hand. I'd look, and there'd be a you know, fistful of dollars in my hand. And that God never let us down when, when we took that stretch. Because you need to understand, when you're building the kingdom, you're building something that's dear to his heart. 
But sometimes we, 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 want, we want the miracle before we do the stretch because it's no, no, you do the stretch and then I'll do the miracle. You step out, then I'll empower you to walk on water. God is looking for us to step out. You know, just in the, the last couple of minutes, probably I, I believe one of the most powerful revelations that, that I had last year was when I was just reading through Genesis. I love Genesis. And I saw in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, where God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And God spoke to me and said, you, do you, did you read what I just said? I said, yeah. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. God said, yeah, but do you see what I'm saying? I said, well, you're saying it's not good for man to be alone. He goes, yeah, that's what it reads, but did you see what I said? I said, well, you said it's not good for man to be alone. He says, yeah, but you see what I'm saying? I'm like, yes, yes, it's not good for man to be alone. He goes, you're going to read it. So I read it again. He says, you see what I'm saying? I'm like, oh, God, you got to help me. It's not good for man to be alone. He's like, look at it. And then all of a sudden, God speaks to me and says, you see what I'm saying? I said, no, God, tell me. He says, what I'm saying is that I am not enough. And I'm like, no, no, this this can't be God. This is this got to be the devil. This is that's that's crazy. God, you know, we sing the songs, Jesus, you're all I, you're all I need. Lift the cherub. You're all I need. Hallelujah. You know, and I'm thinking, we sing the songs, Jesus, you're all I need. And God's like, I am not enough. I mean, Adam is not alone. He has God. He has perfect fellowship with God. He has unspoiled. He sees God with unfiltered lenses. There is no sin at this point in Genesis chapter 2. There's no sin. Adam is not in any way separated or disconnected from God. He enjoys the fullness of God's presence each and every day. He lives in pre-fallen world. He lives in a paradise. And yet God says it's not good for him to be alone. Therefore, I will make him a helper suitable. Flesh of his flesh. Bone of his bone substance of his substance somebody that he can walk with somebody that he can fellowship with can i just tell you you need more than god you need fellowship with each other it's it's an awesome thing you know i spoke with a, with a gentleman this week and uh he, he was one of the teachers in the school and he kind of was a little bit upset with uh you know challenging kids to not let the devil destroy their ability to dream and, and I could see as I was speaking to him, I, I was kind of getting like a word of knowledge. He, he's obviously had some disappointment in his life. He was quite bitter and quite angry. But really what, what I realized as I began to talk to him afterwards was he had this thing. This thing was cool. In fact, it might have been a little bit excessive. But this thing wasn't great. It's amazing how many Christians are very, very spiritual but very, very stupid relationally. I can't understand, Pastor, why my wife left me. Did you encourage her? No, I took that Bible and I browbeat her. <laughs> I've had people try and tell me, hey, pastor, you know, she, she wants to, you tell her how divorce is a sin. You tell her how she needs to submit. And I said, well, you know, the Bible also says before submission that you ought to love. Do you love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave him? So, well, you know, it's one thing to take the word and, you know, but the word isn't meant, you, you want to beat, you drive away. A lot of Christians have got this, but Jesus also came to restore this. Jesus also came to restore this. I believe that Jesus is revealed in the fellowship of the great people.